Hello, welcome to the first episode of our new show, Community is a Verb. I am your co-host, Connor. I go by Find Me in Seattle. I'm joined every episode by Mr. Well-Traveled. Mr. Well-Traveled, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, a little sad, a little sad, uh, but I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm doing good too. It has been such a crazy week and I feel like it's pretty fitting that we're doing the first episode of the show given all the events that have been happening uh, from today. For all of you wondering, it is Saturday the 29th. Uh, yesterday was very big. As most of you know, we will get into all of these topics. But since it's the first episode, let's kind of do a little introduction and talk about uh, what we want this show to be and how we came about. So uh, I'm going to pass the microphone over to you, Mr. Well-Traveled, because uh, I really think that you're the genius behind the start of this show. And so what do you want the show to be? What, what do you have in mind of us moving forward with this? Yeah, you know, uh, you and I, we talk often about uh, social issues, what's happening in the community, what's happening around the world. And I started to think a lot about how we've developed a friendship from social media uh, to now where we are talking about social action, the individual actions that we are taking and the type of you know, impact that we want to make in the world as individuals and the type of impact we want others to make as a collective. So when I started thinking about those conversations that you and I have, I thought, you know, well, we've talked about it a lot to just record them sometimes. And we never did it until recently. We've tried. <laughs> and I thought, um, you know, it's important to really think of this work that we're doing now as acts of community. So community is what we are. It's what we identify as. But the work of community like th that's action and so i think a lot about how that looks for us all it's different for everybody and there are different strategies that we need to deploy depending on who we are and where we are within that community so i felt like that would be a great name for this particular show that it's community as a verb not just community as a noun but community as a verb it's about what we do yeah, and, and the action is really what we want to talk about so much in this show because we're always talking, right? But, and especially here in 2020, a lot more people are also talking, which is good. Right. It's kind of the start of how we see change, at least given right now and, and the change that we can make as individuals. But I love that when you said it was a verb, I mean, the name stuck with me right away because we in this show are always trying to say, all right, we're talking about it we're meeting understanding and now how do we act what kind of things can we do to actually get to change and i'm sure it's going to take us in lots of different directions as we do the show especially thinking about the election coming up uh yeah. and all the different things uh and giving people an idea and giving you and i ideas of how we can take more action in the show and uh it, it's kind of funny because the show all we're doing is talking uh, but it also is action by putting this content out. I think yeah. it's very helpful uh, for our communities to also hear some of these opinions and, and hear uh, some of our thoughts on things that are going on. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think just like beyond the thoughts and beyond the words, we both are taking action in very different ways, right? And so I think that's important to share. I love what we do on social media as a community where we are always making others aware 
of issues that the media generally isn't covering. Uh, we are also helping to inspire others to take action, but oftentimes we don't bring it back around, right? So we take action in our individual ways. Sometimes we post about it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we feel uncomfortable about what, what should we post? What shouldn't we post? Should we just do the good, the, good, the good act and leave it alone and not promote it in the same way we might promote a new job, a new car, or a, a great burrito? So I think a lot about that in, in terms of how do we help to everyone move forward. I think we have to treat our social action in the same way. But then I think the part that also is very difficult to see is what that collective impact looks like. So all of us, I would say, are hashtag activists, right? We're all out there sharing information. We're all paying attention to the social issues on social media. And we're constantly amplifying the messages of change and of, of action. Then many of us are taking action. But then from there, we can't really see what happens. We can't see visible change because that takes time. And sometimes it shows up in ways that isn't clear to everyone. And I think that's really where I want us to go ultimately with this conversation. It's about one, recognizing the power of social media. Then two, talking about our individual actions, but also the actions that we see others are taking and evaluating, hey, is that the right approach? Is that approach going to be impactful? Is that gonna get us closer to where we want to be? And then lastly, talking about what is that impact? What is that type of community? What is that type of world that we want to create? Because that is what this is all about, is we have to take action to create the world we want to see. So I am excited that we're having this conversation on camera, even though I'm very shy and I don't like to be on camera, but I'm excited that we're doing this because I want to bring more people into the conversation that we're having because ultimately there is power in community. Certainly. I mean, you and I both know deeply how important that is. I mean, we met each other through a sense of community, right? Mm -hmm. For a little background about how Mr. Will Travel and I met each other, this was three years ago, I believe, yeah. at a uh, pop-up for a local donut shop. Shout out to Ray's Donuts. Uh, Ray's here Donuts, in love Ray's. We were just talking to each other on Instagram. We didn't know each other. And uh, I th yeah, I think I put an invite out there like, hey, I'm going to this donut pop-up tomorrow. You should come. And given the Seattle freeze, I feel like that's not something people usually show up to. Like, who's this random dude who told me to come to this donut pop-up? And you were there. And uh, that kind of sparked a friendship. But just the community that we attended, right? And how many people we met from that one event and how many people we become friends with through that event is just so cool. And I think that is very, it's just an amazing story to see like how that organic conversation and meetup like is turning into this. Yeah. And so before we get into the topics, I do want to ask you one question and you maybe weren't prepared for this uh, because you mentioned that you were shy and what, sparked your want right because like stepping out and doing a show like this and recording the conversation uh takes a level of courage to step up and put yourself out there publicly what what like inspired you to be like i need to do more i'm going to um go against my shyness and and put myself on camera and talk about these things mm. that's a good 
question. I don't know that I have thought about that very deeply. Um, I think that there are probably a number of things, but mostly I do feel um, a sense of purpose. And I don't talk about that with most people uh, or very often, but I, I like to when I do talk about this idea of purpose that I feel like I've known my purpose for a very long time, probably since I was a kid. Um, and I think what is important to me is that I always move with purpose. So I, I know many people are driven to make a lot of money or to uh, be very influential or, or do or be driven in, in other ways. They want uh, trophies or some sort of fame. And that's never really, none of those things have ever really been important to me in, as, a, as a driver of what I do in this world. Um, I can say that I have long been passionate about wanting to understand the world that we live in. And I have been, you know, learning about the history of this country and all of the, the people who have come before me, who have really tried to build the frameworks to make this democracy work better, make this society work better, make this world work better. I see myself as someone who is building on that legacy. And I think that that's important for me to say because I recognize that all of the issues that we're going to talk about today and all the issues that we will talk about, none of those issues are new. There have been people working on these issues from before this place was ever a country. And somewhere along the way, I think that in, in general, our society lost sight of the fact that there's more work to do. And if we've learned nothing else in the last few months, it's that the work that we have said that others need to focus on, we also need to focus on too. And so I felt like for me, this is where I needed to bring my voice. Um, I wanted to get beyond just the Mr. World Travel that people see. Um, you know, I've been posting my travel photos on Instagram for years and that's great. Um, I've really had some great experiences and I love sharing that with folks. But if I can think about the legacy that I leave, I'm building on a legacy and then I have to leave one too. I think the most important thing that I could do is start to talk about these issues and use my own strengths, my strategic thinking and my interest in creating a through line from the past to the present and then to the future. Uh, I think that's probably the thing that I would like to make sure that I leave for that next generation. Yeah, I love that. I mean, whenever anyone brings up legacy, that's, I, I get so excited about that because uh, that's such a driver for me also, right? Like taking a stand now and, and who knows, I think we're right. 
but maybe we're wrong. Um, crazy reasons why, but there could be little topics that we're, that we're wrong about historically. And being able to reconcile those things and put those out and, and document those, I think in 20 years, at worst, you and I and our family lines are the people who get to look back on this and be like, wow, look, look at the things that they were saying back then. And, yeah. and that's important. And because of the internet and social media and all these tools, we all have the opportunity to have a voice and yeah. put it out, right? Some of us, most of us aren't gonna be influential or change anything, but I think it's very important for us to still put these things out there. So future generations and the few people who do listen to us or look up to us or are curious about who we are, uh, have some type of documentation to look back on and, and know what we stood for. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, I guess, even, even if we could just take that a step further, I guess in, in the back of my mind, I really do hope that we can be a part of influencing um, a more inclusive future, uh, one that, that really looks different than the world that we, we live in. I mean, I think so much about the world that we don't live in, the one that existed long before either of us, you know, was born. I mean, I, th I think a lot about, um, you know, my grandmother's time where uh, there was legal segregation, right? And she and I had a conversation recently about that. And I couldn't, I, I, I was trying to like imagine, like put myself in that place. And I just couldn't because that's never been an experience that I could have ever had or could even imagine. And unfortunately, there are people in this country today who think that that's where we need to be and we need to be regressive in our uh, thinking and our policies. And I don't agree with that. Um, I want to be not just progressive. I want to really think beyond and go further into what should be the correct model for all of the uh, elements of our society, whether it's our institutions or whether it's our policies. Uh, we have to prioritize people, the human beings who live here. And I think if we look at our socioeconomic system of today, certainly it does look a little bit different than what we have seen in the past, but the type of progress that I think we are used to, I don't think that that is the progress that we, we, we need. I think we need to move faster. I think we need to think about this in, through a different lens. We live in a time where I can, for example, I can check how quickly my pizza is going to come to me, how quickly a book or a pair of shoes would come to me, but I can't even check the wait time at the polling station. And that doesn't make any sense to me. So I want to get deeper. I want to get deeper and not just deal with surface level. I don't want to, I want to, I don't want to just deal with symptoms. I want to deal with root cause. So I think that's where I come from in, in sort of my perspective, that it's about what does the future need to look like? Like for real, like what do we need to do to make sure that if we say that all people deserve to have this experience in our society that we how do we create that and i think that's what we do as a community yeah exactly and and i'm sure we're going to talk about lots of different ideas and topics and you and i always go deep into into strategy right because that's your background uh in yeah. my background and so i think a lot of that's going to go in there and, and we'll see what change can be made i'm, I'm really excited about starting this show and uh 
being here and continuing the conversation with you and recording it and putting it out for the public uh, so for their consumption. Yeah. So let's talk about the things that, that probably originally, when we recorded our, our other episode that, that we haven't put out to the public, we had a very different style of yeah. how we're going to run this show. But then this week has just been so impactful, right? Yeah. Like you and I have been having so many messages because it seems like every day there was something else going on. All right. Yes. And this uh, so it was such an impactful week. And that led to just the serendipity of us starting the show right now and knowing that this was going to be the true episode one. And so I'm going to let you take it to start off um, with whatever topic you want to talk about related to the things that happened this week. Oh man, I mean, we have a whole list of things. I like, but you know, before we started recording, I had to like, I had to think about it and just write them down because there's so many I didn't want to, I didn't want to forget. Um, you know, there are a couple of things that are top of mind for me. Uh, I would say for, for me personally, you know, being uh, from Texas, the hurricane is top of mind. But um, also last night, you know, we heard about Chadwick Boseman's passing and that was really, um, Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was something that was surprising to me because I didn't know that he was battling cancer. Um, that wasn't public knowledge. And I had seen like many people, uh, the video back in April where he did look noticeably thinner, but I didn't see anything else after that. And so I didn't really think much about it other, other than that. So I think it was, it came as a surprise and it was really sad. Um, and so I was thinking this morning, I spent a lot of time uh, looking at posts. I mean, my timeline is full of tribute posts and I, I, I love looking at those. Um, I saw this video that he uh, did, I had never seen before. He was on the Jimmy Fallon show and people were talking about how inspired they were by Black Panther and they didn't know that he was behind a curtain. And then he, every, after every person spoke, he came from behind the curtain and he says uh, something like really positive. He gives, he gave every single person a hug. And I just thought, wow, he's a really good guy. I, I wish I knew more about him. I wish I had gotten to see more of him. I feel like we were just getting introduced to him as a star. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, you and I saw Black Panther together. It was the first time that I saw it. I think I've seen it now probably three or four times, <laughs> but that was the first time that I saw it. And I didn't know anything about Black Panther. I didn't know anything about the Avengers. And I remember you were like trying to give me like the history and the rundown. Yeah, because that was the first Avengers movie that you'd seen, right? Yeah, yeah. I know I was, I was so shocked when, when we met up to go see the movie. I just assumed that you were up to date on the marvel universe and like no i haven't seen any of these movies i'm just coming to see black panther and my mom was like blown um but yeah when, when i saw the news yesterday i mean you were the first person i text i texted because we had seen that movie together and yeah there was that connection and that character is is now unfortunate circumstance going to be immortalized forever right because chadwick was the first person ever to play black panther right yeah. And to be taken uh, from this world so early in his life is so tragic. Uh, but the, I guess the silver lining is this character that he created, not he didn't create, but he personified is gonna go down in history, right? And be so impactful. I mean, it was so impactful yeah. for 
such a big community of kids to see someone that looks like them being the superhero, right? And being superhero on an epic scale, right? Because we've never seen anything like the, the Marvel Avengers universe. And yeah, it's just so special, so special. And, and I mean, that's how he's going to be remembered, right? And yeah, I, you're right. All these clips that are coming out, I didn't realize like how special of a person he was, right? And it's amazing and, and tragic and so sad. I mean, just such a devastating loss for the community to be taken. And uh, yeah, just the year rolls on with more tragic news. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, um, exactly the way you put that. It's a devastating loss for the community. You know, I see... I see you as a part of our community, right? I see, I, I hope you see me as a part of your community. And I think if, when we think of it that way, I think some of the other people we'll talk about later, I think they're part of being in the community as influencers, as leaders, as folks who inspire us to take action in our own ways. And I think that's really the legacy of Chadwick. I mean, the, the movie itself was very, very powerful but he was Black Panther. And I think from what I can see on Instagram, people are really touched by this. I mean, they're really affected. And I, I found a post earlier about grieving for someone you don't know. And it, there are many reasons why you might grieve for someone you don't know. Um, but one of them is that that person really inspired you in your life. And I can say that I've been to Brazil since uh, Black Panther came out a, a couple of times. And everywhere you look, you see Wakanda, <laughs> you know, they, they've got, you know, uh, events named Wakanda this and Wakanda that. They have neighborhoods that they call Wakanda. And um, you see Black Panther imagery in places. It, it, that, that movie and his, and his portrayal of a very powerful but thoughtful leader, it, it, it's going to impact generations of children around the world in ways that we probably can't even imagine now. Um, but I think what I find to be the most powerful as well is that he wasn't just portraying that character. That genuinely seems to be who he was. And um, it is such a loss for the community to have someone like that um, leave us so early. Wakanda forever. <laughs> and it's, it's hard to transition off of that topic. It is. I know. I was trying <laughs> to think, like, should we have talked about this last? Uh, but I really, I mean, that was top of mind, right? Like, you, you asked me what was top of mind, and that was, that was really top of mind. Um, because it happened, I mean, it was just you know, several hours ago that we, we, we learned of this. And I think um, yesterday and really the whole week, I mean, that was probably the, the culmination of a really heavy week um, with so many things happening. And yesterday just, it was a very emotional day on a lot of levels, right? So we also had the anniversary of the death of Emmett Till yesterday. Um, we had the 57th anniversary of the March on Washington. We had Jackie Robinson Day, and of course, as you know, Chadwick Boseman played Jackie Robinson. He also played Thurgood Marshall, who, you know, these are, again, great leaders and folks who inspire the community. 
Um, also, because of the anniversary of March in Washington, it's the anniversary of the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King. And I think the other thing that we, that kind of connects for me, like as we're talking about all this, I'm, I'm really thinking of like, there's a theme here of civil rights. Um, so the th other thing that happened uh, this week was the NBA, um, I think some people are calling it a strike. I, I, so I don't know if it's a protest or a strike. I, it, I think it depends on who, who you, which commentator you listen to, but we, we saw that. And then that uh, resulted in a number of actions by individuals and teams. Um, and one of the big actions that I was really excited about was that the NBA has agreed to turn some of the arenas into polling locations. So yeah, all of that happened <laughs> yesterday. Uh, it was, it was quite, it was quite a, quite a day. So much. I mean, it, it's just crazy how it all happened on the 28th, right? Like for whether it's coincidence or meant to be whatever it is, it's, it, it's, it's been an insane week. And, and let's talk about sports first and then we'll go into the March on Washington and everything there. Okay. And sure. I'm not sure if you knew, uh, I think it was on Monday was 824, which were they're deeming Kobe day in remembrance because those were his two numbers. Okay. Um, and so it was very interesting on Monday, uh, there was all these tributes to Kobe Bryant happening in the NBA. And that just must have been a very heavy day, especially for the Lakers who were playing that day, uh, to have this remembrance of this giant superstar that we lost in the beginning of the year. And um, then we get to Wednesday, right? And so after the tragic death of Jacob Blake on Sunday, which really came out on Monday, the Milwaukee Bucks – decided to protest their basketball game with the Orlando Magic, and they didn't walk out onto the court. And that created a tidal wave of something I've never seen in sports before, where the other six teams that were playing in the NBA that day also canceled their games, and the WNBA canceled their three games. The Major League Baseball canceled almost all of their games, and Major League Soccer, which were led by our Seattle Sounders, also canceled all their games. And never seen anything like that before, right? I think the only time I saw games canceled like that were on 9-11 when they canceled games and early in March when they canceled all of sports in general. Uh, mm -hmm. But we were having a conversation on Wednesday as they were canceling the games in protest. And it was like, great, we're canceling games. We're having more conversations. All these athletes and teams are saying, instead of taking the two hours to watch the game tonight, take two hours to uh, invest in, social equality, learning, educating yourself, whatever it is. And it was like, great, we're having the conversation, but what are we going to do about it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Guys not playing basketball aren't uh, changing police violence against the black community, right? But then as Thursday and Friday rolled along, I was actually really impressed with some of the actions that actually came out. So you mentioned the polling stations, uh, which is something that you're very – passionate about right you've really taken a big interest because what's happening right now with voting is, is kind of terrifying right we've never right. the yeah. images that came out this must have been two weeks ago with the mailboxes disappearing is yeah. maybe it happened before and we just never really thought about it but right now it's like oh that is very important because so many voters are voting by mail this year for the first time ever 
and to see that they're going to take these big arenas. I think in LA, Indiana, DC, I know there was one more, but I'm sure there'll be more that come uh, to provide those places as polling stations are going to be a, that that's a really big impact and something that they actually came and that that is making a difference. What do you think about that? You know, when I saw it, I was excited, actually, because, you know, one of the things that I, I've spent a lot of time working on and thinking about is what does an, a, what is the right model for a voter experience? And I, and I call it a voter experience because, you know, we have something called a customer experience, and we know what to expect and what's the right standard for a customer experience, but we don't have that for a voter experience. And I think, I could be wrong, but my thought is that if we had that, more people could vote and more people would want to vote. And I think this is actually a step in the right direction to help to bridge a gap for some folks. Having access to a polling station sometimes is a, an issue. Polling stations get shut down, polling stations get moved, and it can be very confusing some, when these things happen and that limits people's ability to actually cast their ballot. Everyone knows where the arena is and the arena isn't going anywhere. So that made me feel good that, they, that the NBA players recognize strategically how they could leverage their power as employees within this league to say, Here's something you can do. You may not want us to stop playing. You may not want us to wear certain things on our shirts or say certain things in interviews, but here's something you can do right now with, by the way, a vacant arena because no one's using these arenas due to COVID. It reminded me of one of the things that I did at my job um, when my job started talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I took a look at our strategic plan. I took a look at some of the work that was happening on our team. And I said, listen, if you are concerned about these issues, here are things. I wrote a list of 12 things across our, all of the different groups of work that we have. And I said, listen, these are things that we can do right now today that will have an impact. No, it doesn't solve everything, but it'll have an immediate impact in the lives of employees and customers. And I like that because that's something that I can do within my capacity of working in a very large um, and multi-regional organization. I see the same thing happening. And so from a strategic perspective, I think that's the right thing to do. And I hope that that inspires other people so they can see that and say, you know, no matter who I am or where I, what I do, I have the ability to make a demand that if, if it's something that is both uh, reasonable and actionable, that it actually can be done. And I think that that's what I hope everyone takes from that. Yeah, and I, I think that's a, a lot of the reason why we wanna start this conversation because we'll, we'll talk about the police situation probably in another episode, but that is one of the conversations you and I have been having a lot. Like what are some actionable things that are actually that we can do right now to get some progress on figuring yeah. out the situation? Because that, so many of these issues that we're dealing with are large 
deep systemic problems that go, you know, it's not a flip of a switch, like everything changes, right? They're deep rooted issues. And how do we actually uh, figure out, A, what the problem is, which I know is something that you're really big on, right? Like we're not doing a great job identifying and talking about what the actual root cause of the problem is. And then we get to the solutions. Because right now we're all in need and we want solutions, but we don't fully know how to get there. I know that that yeah. would probably be an entire episode that we cover about identifying the problem before we get to solutions. Um, but it was just very inspiring to see that they did take that step forward, right? And when it comes to voting, I know there was things said about like, if you're gonna be stepping up on these social issues and you're not registered to vote, that's like the first thing that, that's the, yeah. the one thing. It really is the one thing that every single person in America, for the most part, are legally allowed to do. It's a constitutional right to yeah. vote. And that's something that we all should be doing. I'm, I'm really hoping that the, the turnouts are going to be just record setting this year. I, I thought that in 2016 too. I think we did set some records in 2016. Um, and I know here in Washington, the numbers have been getting better, but it's still like yeah. 40, 50% turnout with registered voters. It's, it's not enough. No, I agree. But I also recognize that uh, we have a system in which a person can choose not to vote if they don't want to. They can also choose not to register. It's Registration is not an automatic thing. And there's also a lot of discrimination in our election system. And I, I appreciate the the things that I see on social media being shared right now, um, you know, whether it's from the NBA or from um, political action groups or from politicians themselves or other celebrities or just ordinary folks who are thinking about these issues and they want to encourage um, the folks in their network, the folks who follow them to not only vote, but also think about encouraging others to vote. I think that's, that's a good thing. And we have that every election. I think for me, the step further is reminding everyone that voter suppression is real. It is happening. You've already brought up a great example, the mailboxes. I think many people see that as an act of voter suppression. So the, the locking of mailboxes, the removal of mail, mailboxes, uh, making it harder for people to cast their ballot in the way that best works for them. And that's why I come back to voter experience, because voter experience looks like a lot of things. And I think it's not just about the polling station. It's not just about vote by mail. It's really about what's the best way for the individual. See, we do that very well in a lot of areas of our society. But for some reason, when it comes to voting, we seem to be struggling in that area. And so I I've been spending a lot of time not just thinking about this issue, but reading a lot of academic papers on this. Luckily, there's a great body of work. It's a small body of work, but there's a great body of work out there that has helped me to really think about this idea of voter experience. And part of it has to be the polling station. The other part of it has to be mail-in ballot. But we also have to talk about why we don't have a, an ability to vote online in most places. That's an issue. There are other countries that do voting online and they seem to be just fine with their elections. So if 
you know, people say we have security issues. Well, then we need to fix them, in my opinion. Um, but again, it's all about creating access for everyone. Voting should not be an exclusive right. And it, and I understand that that's how it started in this country, but that's not where we want it to be in the future. Yeah, we're, we're going to have to... I know we're gonna have some extensive conversation. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm already, I'm already, I'm already, I'm talking about voting. <laughs> we but, we but have all the topics to cover. And, and I mean, that's, it's exactly what we're talking about. And um, let, let's go back to where, where we started, specifically with it being August 28th, right? So yesterday was also the anniversary of the March on Washington. I know they had their own March on Washington. It was called a. Uh, I'm blanking on the name. Either way, still the March on Washington. And so because of some of the other events that happened, I do feel like that, you know, was lower down the list of what was covered in the media and the news. Uh, but I know that you were very proactive yesterday on social media and sharing some of those messages. So how, how about you talk a little bit about some of the messages you shared yesterday related to the anniversary? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. Yeah, so I was thinking a lot about uh, the content that I was seeing. And I was seeing some really great content in a lot of different places. So what I decided to do yesterday was just kind of aggregate some of that in, in my own uh, Instagram story. Uh, I started with a photo of Dr. Martin Luther King, and it was an interesting, I shouldn't say a photo, sorry. It was a, a drawing, actually. And you see Dr. King in the foreground, but kind of in the background, you see the modern March on Washington uh, protest. And it was interesting because you have the signs that say things like, I can't breathe. And I, I, I really liked that image because it was, it, it was a great reminder that the very same topics, very same issues that were raised within the I Have a Dream speech, people today, August 28th, 2020, are standing in the very same spot marching for that. And so it is something that I think we really like have to emphasize that 57 years later, we're talking at least two lifetimes already that we have exactly the same problem. We're standing in exactly the same place discussing exactly the same issues. So I started with that. I then uh, posted uh, Al Roker's photo which uh, showed the comparison in the crowd. So from 1963 to, to 2020 looked almost the same. Then I moved from that into um, a video clip from Dr. King talking about police brutality. And then I moved into a post from the NBA about what the March on Washington is. I actually really liked that post. I was surprised that the NBA posted something like that and that I would read it and say, wow, this is some really good information. I, I'm glad that they use their platform to share information that was not only factual, but helpful to an audience that may only pay attention to them and may not get that information elsewhere. The reality is in this country, we don't talk about civil rights very much in school. Most of what I have learned has been through my own personal um, exploration. And also when I was in college, I did take uh, a history of civil rights course and a couple of other classes that uh, 
talked about civil rights, but if you don't do those things, you rely on the education system to give you that information. And if, and generally it doesn't. So the MBA is filling a gap, a gap that we don't always recognize. And it's not necessarily what we expect, but I thought it was perfect. It was exactly what we needed. So I posted that. And then um, I kind of left it there for that particular topic. And I hope that folks take a look at that today. And I've seen some people repost from, they, I guess they saw what I posted and they went to those links and then they reposted in their own uh, stories. And I think as a way of influencing, I like that. Like, it's great if I can share with you some food that I ate or a trip that I took, but I would rather share some information about a historical event and the context in which we see that same event happening today and then seeing other people share that. I, I would rather be influential in that way. And I think those folks who influence me to share that information now, um, you know, hopefully I'm influencing others to share that information. And we are broadening our awareness and understanding of the March on Washington. Well, in, in that topic, because I know you have a system with, is it called the, the social loop, right? Social transformation loop. Yes, I Social do. transformation loop. Uh, so how about, t take a second to describe what that is, because I feel like you just really did describe about it. It's your information, right? And it kind of goes around the circle, and then you, you exit by taking action. Well, what's the social transformation loop? Yeah. So, you know, social transformation loop is something that I developed as a model simply through observation of what happens from social media to action to impact in the back of social media. So the first, the first step is social media. That's where we post the information that inspires us, that makes us aware. So for people who are posting, that's usually their goal to inspire others or to bring them awareness of a particular issue or topic. And then there are those of us who consume that same information and we are then inspired or, be, or made aware. The next level down is moving beyond that form of activism to a broad set of social action activities. So when we talk about social action, that looks like a lot of different things for, for everybody. It can be voting, it can be reading, it can be listening to podcasts, donating money to organizations. Um, it can be, uh, what else? Uh, volunteering in the community. I mean, we can just make a list of so many things. Uh, if it's on your job, advocating for you know certain policies or um, process improvements, there are just so many things that folks can consider to be social action. So we start with social media. We're inspired to act. We take action. Then we go to social impact. And social impact is really that area where we say, Okay, now all of these actions took place. What happened? How did we impact the problem that we were working on? And then once we have determined what that result is, then we need to bring it back to social media. So that's where the loop comes in, right? Social media, social action, social impact, social media. And then we have to keep it going and we have to keep bringing more and more people into the loop. And when we do that, I believe that's how we get the social transformation that we wanna see in the world. So to the, the example that I can reference that, that I personally had was uh, seeing the protests happening in early June, right? And I, uh, given the pandemic, 
was worried about going out and exposing myself. So I wanted to protest and take action after seeing what I saw on social media, but I had to do it in my own way. So instead, I went out and stood on a random curb in Queen Anne with a sign with my wife and it said, for every honk we get, we're gonna donate $1 to the NAACP. We stood up there for a couple hours, we got 300 honks, and then uh, I documented the whole thing. We donated money uh, through a matching grant, which is, was great, so then there was $600 donated, and then we put that all on social media to kind of tell the story, and also tell people like, hey, if you wanna take action and protest, but you don't uh, feel safe going into these big crowds, there are other ways to go and do it. So let me ask you, how did it make you feel when you did that? Because I, I think for me, that was probably the first time that I had seen anyone do that. And I was surprised, but then I said, huh, that's a really good idea. And why am I not, why am I not doing that? Because I also have an employer who can match funds if I make a donation. So I was inspired. But did you, what, I, I recognize that that was your intention to inspire others, but were you nervous about that? Did you think that someone might say, because, you know, I've seen things like people will say, well, you don't need to make your, you know, uh, donations public. You don't need to put that on social media. How do you, how do you, how did you think about that? Yeah, I, I was really worried about it, actually. Just like, how was it going to be received? Uh, what was going to happen? And, and I got to give credit to my wife, Amanda, because she was really the driver on this. And, and I'll take a step back, where it actually started and, and we came up with the idea was uh, on Saturday nights, we hang out with a group of friends who live around the country. And when the first big protest was happening here in Seattle, uh, where the cop cars were getting burned, right? It was a very intense evening. We were on the Zoom call with them and on our TV in front of their computer, we were watching all the coverage and Amanda and I just kind of had this like shocked look seeing all the protests happen here in our city. And everyone was like, what is happening, right? And then they all tuned into their own TV channels to see if the same thing was happening in all of their cities. So then uh, we usually play games uh, and like we play bingo a lot, right? And we play it for a dollar a game. So then one of the people who works for Nike, he says, hey, we actually have a, a two for one matching program they started at our company. So if we donate $100, they're actually gonna donate another $200. So what we did is we started taking a portion of all of the money that we're playing for bingo and donating that to different funds every week. So then Amanda and I was like, oh, I'm glad we're doing that. We're putting it on social media makes us feel good, but it was like, we need to do something that's important and specific to her and I. And so she kind of came up with the idea. We made signs, we stood out there and uh, we were very nervous. We didn't know what we were gonna get. I mean, we live in a very liberal town so and neighborhood. So we didn't think we were gonna get you know, too many negative reactions, but the amount of honks that we got just like filled us with an immense amount of joy. It was unbelievable to uh, just, just experience, right? We just didn't think that was gonna be the reaction. And the video I have with Amanda, she's just like 10 honks, 11 honks, 12 honks. Like it was just this echoing noise on this major street in Queen Anne and it was just constant, right? And then people start honking and everyone else is like, why are they honking? And they see the signs, and they see these two uh, people standing on there like with the signs. Uh, it, yeah, it was just such an impactful moment just to see how many people rallied behind it. And then, you know, donating the money and feeling good about it and, and how we went about doing it was just uh, cool. And then to see the response on social media, 
right? And to hear your response was like, wow, like I didn't even think like that wasn't the intention, right? Um, and I've gone through this transformation because before I I was always in the in in the camp where do your donation. You don't like when you gloat about your donation and your volunteer work, like there there's something that is a little too selfish about the selfless act. Like wh where do you draw the line about I'm doing this because of social media, right? And after the uh, early rounds of protests, we saw a lot of people, right, standing, uh, their influencers standing in front of, uh, you know, smash glass or whatever it was. Yeah. Hashtag activism at its worst. Uh, yeah. And, but seeing some of those transformations, and I think you can do it in the right way where you can inspire other action from other people. And that was really what I got out of it. It was like, all right, if your intentions are right and you're doing something good and you're creating these donations, by putting it out there, you're inspiring other people to do it too, or giving them access or uh, different places to put their money. And I think that there's a positive out there, but you very quickly can, uh, if you have the wrong intentions, just be doing it so you can get your own clout. And that's, that's taking it too far and that's the wrong direction. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, I appreciate that you and Amanda did that. I, it, it, made, <clears throat> it made me think for a moment about exactly what you just said that there at least for a while there was this idea that it was inappropriate to post uh, your donations or your community service uh, activities in on social media and I and I think that that's a strange thing like that that as I start to think about it I'm like why would that be a problem when we post literally everything else and things that are completely insignificant in, in the grand scheme of the world. And so that was something definitely that I, I, I first thought about was, okay, they're stepping out and they're setting a new standard for the way in which we can use social media. But then two, it made me reflect on myself to say, well, why am I not doing the same thing? So it was, it, it was interesting and it made me like, go down a very, I would say long path to exploring organizations that I want to donate to, exploring their work, how much money I want to donate, how regularly I want to donate. And what I like about how this fits within the social transformation loop is that it does start with social media. So you actually have posted something, I've seen it, I've become aware and inspired and then it moves to my own individual social action where I'm exploring the organizations that are out there that are, they are doing work, organizations that I really didn't know much about, but they're doing the work that is in alignment with the problems that I want to try to solve for our society. And then I'm thinking about, okay, what's going to be my own investment in trying to solve those problems? How am I going to go about using my employer's matching funds? And then it goes to that collective impact because the great thing about making a donation is that you can immediately see due to the way that nonprofits have to operate, they have to post their donations. You can immediately see what the collective uh, impact was. You can see how much money was raised. Then, we can turn around and talk about that again on social media to say, this is what we learned. This is what we were inspired by. This is what we did. This is what the impact was. Here it is again in social media. And 
if we continue to follow that loop, we continue to move in the right direction towards social transformation, towards that future that we want to see. So I, like when I saw that, I was like, yeah, that, that's exactly what we should be doing as a community. This is how we should be thinking about these things. This is, how, this is what the work should look like for us as individuals. And the great thing about that as well is it's not particularly burdensome, right? Like I don't really have to leave my house to make a donation. I didn't have to do anything different really than what I was doing on social media. Um, and it helped me to really spend some very valuable time on making myself aware of the organizations who can do the work. So maybe I can't get out there every day and go into a courtroom and fight against voter suppression, but the ACLU can. Um, maybe I can't, you know, um, write to every congressperson about a law that I want to see enacted, but the NAACP can. And so I think that's the other piece of it, right? It's a I am one person, but many of us together are able to really um, support the organizations who are able to act on our behalf when we are seeing the problems that need to be solved. That makes me think maybe we should work on in future episodes in uh, talking to some people at those organizations and inviting them on the show. I would like that. I, I hope they'll, they'll take us up on it. I mean, we're, you know, it, we're a little new to this business. And so they may, they may come, they may say, oh, no, you guys aren't CNN. You're not, uh, who else, who, who else could we, you're not Charlemagne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, not the uh, Breakfast who Club. <laughs> who uh, hopefully they are getting all of those requests and they're so busy that they have to turn us down. But who knows, maybe we get an intern or we can get, you know, some, somewhere, uh, I, I'm, I bet someone would want to do it. I hope so. You know, and what's cool about Seattle is there are a lot of local activists. Some of them get national attention. Some of them get local attention. Some of them get no attention. And so I think, you know, we have an opportunity to talk to them too. Uh, Seattle is a protest city. So Seattle is a pandemic city and Seattle is a future city. I want to make sure we, we talk about that at some point because, you know, um, there's a quote uh, that I was reading in a book um, and it's from a former mayor of Seattle. And in this, uh, in this quote, he says, um, Seattle both mirrors and anticipates the nation. And I think this is important because what we are seeing in all of the other cities, no matter what the demographics look like in those cities, the same thing is happening in Seattle. Seattle has a very particular demographic structure, uh, but also, the things that are happening here, as we have seen in the last five to six months, those things make international news. Seattle is at the forefront of everything right now, and we're here. You make a good point. And I, I don't really think about it that way very often, but you're so true. And it's across so many different aspects beyond just social justice. Um, yeah. We live, yeah, we live in a special place. Um, and... Yeah, I'm grateful to live here because that is something really unique. And yeah, I didn't really think about it, but yeah, so many different things that happen across the country happen here, even though we have we might have a very different demographic of people. Um, and that dates back for a long time. We have a strong history of protest here in this city, and that's uh, inspiring. And, I, and we talk a lot, or the city talks a lot about the change in culture 
of Seattle mm-hmm. and how it's constantly changing. But it seems like that does, that innovation in all different types of uh, aspects of life does seem pretty consistent throughout the decades. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, that this is a city that has historically had a lot of innovation in, in a lot of different ways. Um, have you ever been to the Museum of History and Industry? Yeah, the Mohai. Yeah, Mohai. Uh, I had a chance to go there for a work trip. I, I it was it was really awesome. It was it was very interesting to see um, just how long and how deep the history of innovation is in this city. I think it's interesting, uh, you know, this term innovation um, because. I think today, when people talk about innovation, I think they think of just a handful of people and a handful of companies. And I think that's a little bit um, problematic, I guess, because innovation in this country has looked like a lot of different things. And there have always been a lot more people than the the few people that we talk about today um, involved in innovation. In fact, I would say innovation generally is not a corporate function. Innovation, including the people that we do talk about, they all started in their garages. So I just want to point that out, or a dorm room. Uh, so I just want to point that out because that generally is how innovation has happened. That it's it's not some multi-billion dollar company that comes up with something and some billionaire who has a bright idea. Usually innovation comes from people who are trying to solve problems that the government and that the corporations don't solve for them. And we will find ordinary people, sometimes people with a lot of education, sometimes people with no education, and they're coming up with solutions all the time. And one other thing I will point out, having traveled now to 21 countries, I have seen things in other places that I wish we had here. Not just like technology, but I'm talking about business models. I'm talking about social models, ways ways of doing things and getting things done and supporting more people and creating access to food or access to voting or access to healthcare. I mean, it's while we can talk about innovation in, in a Seattle context, I I recognize that there's a lot out there that we could be influenced by. Like, it, it's so funny Like we talk about Uber, for example, as being in a, innovative. That model of um, that, that shared ride, that's how most of the world actually works. <laughs> because when I was in South America, when I was in Peru, you always share a taxi. That's just what you do. Uh, and I think it's interesting that when a company that is well-funded comes up with a model that they're using in other countries that most people consider to be not on the same level as the United States. Suddenly that's innovation, but that's not new. That's not even, that's not a new model at all. So I think it's very interesting that we, we talk about innovation in only within the context of what uh, very well-funded companies can do. And I hope Uh, As we continue to have this discussion, particularly about innovation in Seattle, things that we're seeing, because I know we're seeing a lot of new models emerge, particularly due to the pandemic. Um, Yeah, I want to I want to make sure we highlight that, you know, because there are folks out there who are independent sole proprietors and they're out there hustling. They're out there making new ways for us as a community to be able to, again, have access to things that we want and need. And uh, yeah, I want to highlight them. I want to talk about that. And I want, especially if it's a model that we really like, I want to amplify that because we need to see more of that. Yeah. And the community here in Seattle, we're 
there's tons of them, right? Yeah. I, yeah, you and I are gonna go into a lot of different business models. You and I always get into those conversations thinking about business. And especially yeah. with the election and social justice, there are a lot of new social models coming, uh, business, you know, private models that are coming on how to serve customers. It's gonna be really interesting to how they blend and how we, we blend them together and we kind of try to say, hey, can we take these models that are happening in the private sector and put them in the public sector and vice versa? Uh, it's going to be, that's fun. I'm really looking forward to continuing all these conversations. Is there any last things uh, before we get to the conclusion of the show related to the topics we covered today? Was protests in sports, the March on Washington, and uh, the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Is there any last thing that maybe we left out that you want to mention? Gosh, <laughs> I feel like we talked about a lot, actually. I mean, that's, it's, that's a good question. Um, well, you know, I, I, not nothing off the top of my head really uh, i feel like we we did cover a lot uh, i i guess the only thing i'll say is i thanks for engaging in this discussion i mean the one we had a lot of topics that we talked about but two uh, i always enjoy talking to you about these things uh because i always appreciate your perspective and i think that uh, you know before we start recording, one thing that people don't know is that you and I actually really do talk about these issues and we've been talking about them on a daily basis all week. So it's not like we just turned on the camera and said, okay, we're only going to talk about these things right here, right now. We had a, a we were having a sort of a debate the other day about the sports topic because I didn't want to talk about it. And I had some very like strong opinions about why I didn't think we needed to talk about that. And you helped me to see that, you know, um, there's another way to look at that uh, situation. So I'm glad we talked about it. I'm glad that, you know, we have this type of friendship where we can challenge each other's ideas and opinions. And we, you know, I think there's always been great respect, mutual respect, right? And so I think having that as a foundation, it allows us to be able to have this type of conversation this way and about issues that I feel like I'm not, able to really dig into with other folks because sometimes this is not the conversation that people want to have. They want to talk about, you know, things that are a little bit lighter than uh, death and social issues. But I like that we're able to talk about a variety of things because we, we don't just talk about these things. We talk about all kinds of stuff. But this is what I, this is the kind of conversation that I wanted us to capture. And I think personally, I think this this is the best one we've done, right? So you, you referenced the, the other two that we did before this, and it was not the same at all. Uh, I was definitely feeling a, really shy, but I think now I feel very comfortable with what we're doing in this whole process. And these are the issues that I want, I really want to talk about. Like if, I, if, if I'm ever going to record myself and be on camera, this is what I want to talk about. This is what I want people to know that I'm thinking about, that I'm working on, and um, I'm glad that, you know, we're having that conversation. Yeah, I want to reciprocate that gratitude, too, because I'm, I'm nervous about doing the show, right? Like, I've been nervous of, about a lot of things, about speaking out about injustice in general, because I'm like, is it my place? Is it not my place? Uh, and I think it's really important, not only because over this time, we're going to have plenty of disagreements, right? We're going to talk those things out. We're going to change each other's opinions and have those discussions. And I think that needs to be amplified more in society and that's really the one of the top reasons why it's great to do a show like this uh and to have the contrast right someone who looks like you and someone who looks like me 
uh, and talking about these different issues and dealing with it and uh, showing different perspectives is what we need so much here in America uh, because it's really easy to look at all these things and be like it's black versus white and we always got to remember like it's everybody versus racism right like we we can't have these we can't continue to have these echo chambers right that solidify our opinions we've got to branch out and learn new things and evolve as individuals and uh, I'm, I'm excited to continually learn from you because you're always teaching me new things and I know it's uh, the same on the other side and th this is great yeah it's definitely been the best conversation that we've had recorded <laughs> we put the pressure on and turn the recording button and so uh, the one last thing that I wanted to mention was related to the March on Washington and I know you touched on this uh, some of the quotes that Martin Luther King Jr. said was uh, that still is her today is like was a lot about police brutality yeah right like which is it's just yeah it's crazy to even think about that 57 years ago that's what they're talking about and how much change has there really been uh, the fact that we have cameras and we're exposing it more is really the big difference but I'm not sure yeah. change has really happened um, and the other thing is that America wrote a check to um african americans 200 years ago and that check bounced yeah right sufficient funds yeah insufficient funds and uh and we're still feeling all of those effects of that bounce check and you know we need we need to make up for it right and hopefully things like this lead to more action and a better world for all of us so mr so well traveled we're going to end the show with a uh, share with people about how they can connect with you, things that you're working on, um, things that you're sharing on social media. How would you like to end it? Yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how you can connect with me. That's one. Um, I'm on Instagram right now. You know what, I, what I've been thinking about? I would like to have a Patreon in the future uh, because I think that would be a much better platform for me. But right now, I'm on Instagram, and you can find me there at Mr. Well Traveled. Um, you should be able to see that at the bottom of the screen. I hope that's what we're what we're planning right now. Uh, but uh, yeah, find me on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, I want to talk a little bit for a moment about what I am working on right now. As I mentioned, you, you probably picked up at this point on a theme throughout this entire conversation. I am very passionate ahead of this election about dealing with voter suppression, making folks aware of the tactics, but also and taking action in my own way. So I, I know I shared with you, I've been working on an app now for several months and this particular app, it fits the use case for long wait times at polling stations. And so I was thinking a lot about this particular form of voter suppression, because there are many forms of voter suppression. In the old days when voter suppression, um, when we talk about voter suppression in the old days, we talk about poll taxes and literacy tests and grandfather clauses. But today, we, while we don't have those things, we have a lot of other ways to suppress people's votes. And I said, you know, I have this app that I've been working on. I want to use it to help empower voters. So the thing that I do in my own way of, of, of developing is I look at the problem and I look at who I want to solve that problem for. And I have taken time to really look at wait time uh, from a um, academic perspective. So there are a lot of researchers who have looked at this issue 
have made recommendations on what should be done. And unfortunately, what we're going to see at these polling sites is that none of them are going to take those recommendations into account. So what is a voter to do if they show up to a poll and the wait time is four hours or five hours or six hours or seven hours? Well, many people, they don't go and vote and that's not fair to them. Also, they, if they do stay and vote, they may lose money because they can't go to work or they have to leave work early. They may not have the ability to do that physically. Um, maybe they're suffering from a disability. Also, they may have to take care of other family members. Maybe they have children and standing in line that long is not fair. Also, most of the time when we see excessive wait times, we see those in polling stations primarily serving African-American and Latino communities. That's wrong. It shouldn't happen. And although I can't change the drivers of long wait times ahead of this election, what I can do is use my app to give visibility to individuals so they can see the wait time. They can also see the number of people in line. And they will at least have that level of information so they can determine what's going to be the best thing for me to do. And that's a start. I want to go beyond that, but that's where I'm starting with my own version of social action. And I, my hope is that then I have results that can show what the impact was. And then we can push for change because I absolutely believe 100% that we should have a national voter experience standard. We do not have that today. It looks different across states, across counties, across cities, and we need that. So in my ideal world, I would have a uh, zero wait time, zero wait time, and the voting process in person would take no more than 15 minutes. That's what, I, that's what I'm working for, and I hope that uh, we get there, and that, that I'm gonna deploy this app for that purpose. But I want to pose the same question to you. What are you working on? Because I know you're out there in the community doing some good things too. Yeah, well, I love the, the national standard for voting. That just makes so much sense. Um, and it's, it's, it's crazy. I'll have to look into more why we don't have that already. It just sounds like something that should have happened already. Uh, but on my end, uh, at Find Me in Seattle, I create content every day to promote people, places, things, but primarily local businesses that are either doing good in the community, but obviously it focuses a lot on restaurants. I grew up in restaurants uh, through my family. And so I understand the struggle that they're going through. Uh, on top of all of the issues that are happening in 2020, I've kind of created a new series called Find Me in Seattle Shorts. And there are 59 second videos about the experience of uh, pretty much getting food to go and what that looks like. So we can go and continue supporting these local businesses. And whether you get food delivered or you go and pick it up, uh, just ways that you can support a variety of different businesses. I have videos coming out every week uh, to promote all different types. And uh, yeah, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. I also have my own podcast called Find Me in Seattle Podcast. And uh, you Google Find Me in Seattle and you'll find something good. Awesome. That's it. Well, that's the conclusion of the first episode. The community is a verb. Mr. Well-Traveled, thank you so much for joining me this week on the show. And uh, I appreciate you a lot. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone.